0: A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, three tremendous nerds, strong in the geek side of the Force, came together to face their greatest challenge yet, the behemoth known as the Star Wars Expanded Universe. You don't know the power of the dark side. Nothing must stand in our way. I will finish what you start Now witness the firepower of this fully armed and operational battle station. I'm out of it. For a little while, everybody gets delusions of grandeur.
1: Will somebody get this big walking carpet out of my way? Sir,
0: it's quite possible this asteroid is not entirely stable. I find your lack of faith disturbing. I have a bad feeling about this. The Force will be with you. Always. Always. There has been an
2: awakening. Have you felt it? Welcome to It On and On. Because you can't spell subtext without butt sex. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I told
0: you.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's
0: dirty. That was great. That was great. <laughs> All
1: right, so you're here on It On and On, the Star Wars literary podcast on the Skiffy Fanny Network. I'm Sean. I'm Alex. And today we have a very special guest. Who are
0: you? I'm Tiara. Um, I'm a reviewer at Bibliosanctum.com, where we review speculative fiction, including Star Wars.
1: And are you a Star Wars fan?
0: Yes, I am.
1: Yay! <laughs> Just a little bit. This, like, two points out of ten, or like, nine and a half out of ten, or off the charts out of ten.
0: Well, I think when I was younger, you know, it's basically the movies we watched uh as kids. So I think I started out maybe like a three-ish as I got older and started reading the books and learning about all the lore. I'll put myself at a solid seven now.
1: <laughs> that is a respectable number. Yeah. <laughs> excellent. <laughs> so uh, t- we have a very special guest today because... And Kate Sherrod is unfortunately on patrol in the Outer Reaches and is unable to be here with us at the moment. So we brought on a special guest because we really wanted to talk about Thrawn because Alex was probably going to lose it if they could not tell us in great gory detail about their Thrawn fanfic, uh, which I'm sure will come up at some point.
2: I-, I will not be doing that other than to mention that it
1: exists. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Can we link to it? <laughs> oh! think about it Uh, okay okay. (laughs) no pressure no pressure so we're here today to talk about the new incarnation of Thrawn by of all people Timothy Zahn which oddly rhymes with Thrawn
2: well I mean I I don't feel like they should be letting anyone but Timothy Zahn write him anyway
1: true do you think that was intentional that they they got the names to rhyme or did he like pitch the name and and Lucas just went yeah does does that make sense
2: I mean I don't feel like Thrawn and Zahn are are quite a complete rhyme.
1: They're a slant rhyme, Alex.
2: (laughs) I don't like slant rhymes. Okay. Commit. (laughs) You're going to rhyme, you got to fucking commit.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, so this is very interesting because we've already covered the original Thrawn trilogy way back in the day at the, by back in the day, I mean, like f- four episodes ago, Uh but we were really excited when we heard that Timothy Zahn was writing the Thrawn books and Alex picked this book, the Star Wars Thrawn book, which we're going to now talk about in great detail by first starting with someone summarizing briefly what this book is about. And I think since it's Alex's book, that should be your job.
2: I mean, I, I think I'm going to actually make it a a surprisingly brief summary, just because, I mean, what this book chronicles is how Thrawn kind of comes back to the Empire because it's revealed in the book that he like totally worked with Anakin Skywalker. I'm guessing during one of the TV animated series that I haven't watched, and so he is he has come back and kind of inserted himself back into the Empire. And, um, the you know, he does so by basically kind of tricking some Imperials to come to a planet and then murdering a bunch of them in a really, like, super awesome Thrawn-like way. And the commander's impressed, so he assigns, like, Eli Vonto, who's the only guy who can speak the language that Thrawn speaks, to be his translator. And thus begins, like... The, the subtext filled friendship that, that the book is centered around that I love, that I will never be over. And they have various adventures and it basically is like, a thing happens. Thrawn figures it out in a really super brilliant way with Eli as kind of like his Dr. Watson, but smarter. And then they get a promotion because every time they're like, you're gonna have a court martial for not doing things the way we want you to. Oh well, guess you were right after all. Have a promotion. And that's basically the book up until where um, Thrawn has been promoted to be fleet admiral. And I don't think I... Do you want me to spoil the end as far as what goes on with Eli?
1: No, we could get to that maybe after general reactions because that's very spoiler territory.
2: Yeah, because that, that's kind of like one of the subplots and so it's it's basically, you get into a lot of, like, internal, like, there's, like, Imperial political plotting, and Grand Mo- Moff Tarkin is doing some shit, and he's destroying his political enemies with this, the help of this, this lady who climbs, scrambles up the ranks to become a governor, and she, like, knows Thrawn, and, but, I mean, it's really, like, the main plot is just Thrawn is awesome and eventually becomes a fleet admiral, and then he talks to
1: the Emperor, and that's where it kind of ends. Not necessarily in that order, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that's, that's precisely what happens. Yeah, that's a pretty succinct story. I think one of the interesting things about this book is he hasn't become the guy we knew him to be before yet, and so we sort of have to, like, watch that process, because everybody knows him as Grand Admiral Thrawn. That's how he first appears.
2: Oh, yeah, I'm sorry, that's right, Grand Admiral. That's He ends up as a Grand Admiral at the end.
1: Yeah. Uh, like brain fart. Did you say Grand Moff?
2: Well, Grand Moff Tarkin's in there.
1: He he is, yeah.
2: He's like doing
1: political shit. Yeah, there there is a lot of political intrigue. But yeah, so it's it's an interesting book cuz it's really about weirdly about Thrawn becoming Thrawn, even though he is already Thrawn. But, you know, that's just to make things a little confusing. Well, cuz
2: I I think it's like He's already super awesome and like a tactical genius and blah, 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 blah. So the entire book is him just being like, you should promote me. You should promote me. You should put me in charge of your everything. And eventually the Empire is like, why, yes, yes, we should.
1: Even though they really don't like him.
2: Oh, no, because he's a weird blue skin
1: guy. Yeah, I'm sure we'll dive into that. So let's start with some general reactions first before I think we need to put up that spoiler wall. Uh, where we really get into some of the nitty-gritty. And I guess I want to start with you, Tiara, because you are our guest. So tell us how much you loved this book.
0: (laughs) Um, well, let's see. Uh, I loved it, and I didn't love it. (laughs) Oh, I guess uh, I loved it because, yeah, he's awesome. He's great at everything. Like, there's literally nothing he does wrong. He knows every single thing. He's like a genius he knows what this person is thinking he can read so much into the language the body language and it's just like that's awesome you know i'm sitting there like oh this is totally awesome and then part of me is like hmm (laughs) this is kind of a bit much too Mm -hmm. (laughs) so so, i mean that kind of like kind of hampered my enjoyment a little bit because it's kind of like you know yeah i wanted to succeed obviously but um you never really get to see a moment where he's really just Really out of his element, like really, really just like thrown into a situation that just kind of really tests him because he already is like on top of everything. But, um, I did enjoy it though. Uh, I enjoyed, I called it the, uh, Star Wars version of a buddy cop, uh, book with him and Eli. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Him and Eli. <laughs> so, uh, I thought their dynamic was just great. It was just so amusing. The whole I love you, but I hate you type. <laughs> Right. Type <laughs> thing. So, I really enjoy that part of it. But, uh, yeah, I don't want to say too much more because I try to be such a reserved person, but I am one of those people that will scream about a Star Wars. So.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, okay, okay. All right. Uh, Alex, what about you? General reactions?
2: I mean, obviously, I loved this book because I was demanded that we read it. Um, I mean, it made me write fan fiction and I have not <laughs> read, ri- I have not written Star Wars fan fiction since I was eight years old. So, there you go. I I think maybe part of the reason I like it so much is when you come down to it like Thrawn kind of fits into the, into the the Sherlockian archetype and it is very much like, you know, he's he already knows how everything went down and then he gets to explain it to Eli because Eli is like, you know, our stand-in as the guy who doesn't actually know everything that's going on who can then be explained to. But I think it was addressing it from kind of that place that I didn't find his consistent hyper-competence annoying, which I normally would because, you know, you you do kind of get into, like, what what's the point of the book if the character never struggles and they're never forced to grow, but it kind of, like, wasn't that kind of book, I guess. I don't know. I just... I, I, I'd say kudos to Timothy Zahn for giving me a character who never actually fails at anything and writing him in such a way that I actually really like him and don't
1: hate him which i would normally do okay fair fair so i guess that comes to me now Mm -hmm. uh let's see uh it is hard to read this book having very reasonably recently read the others and like keep the two very separate in my head and that that is probably like my biggest concern Uh, when I was reading this book, you know, Mark Thompson, fantastic. He does a slightly different impersonation of Thrawn for this. As, as I recall, he mimics it somewhat after the version of Thrawn that appears in Rebels. And, uh, which I really appreciate. Uh, the audiobook is fantastic. The story, I I really enjoyed it mostly because I just really like seeing Thrawn being a smarty pants. And that is, I think that's like 90% of why I read any book that has Thrawn in It's just to see him do something intelligent. There are, I think, some things in terms of like the the breadth of the story. I get that it is, it, it's supposed to be space opera. And so you you have a bit of that wide scale. But there were some moments where I just really wasn't as connected to some of the side characters. As I think it was meant to be. And that, I think, for me was one of the biggest flaws. Uh, I was thinking like Arenda Price. Uh, it took a while for her character to really kind of click for me. Um, but Eli, I kind of got into because I think I, kind of what you all were saying that Eli is our kind of stand in and it was kind of fun watching him be like a fish out of water. And he is a good. <laughs> and he is, he is mostly a good. <laughs> uh, he still works for the Empire. So following orders is not an excuse. That's true. So, uh, but yeah. So I think overall I really enjoyed it. I took some issues with certain aspects of it where I just wasn't as enamored. It kind of came together a bit more for me towards the end. Uh, I like some of the little twists and turns. I did enjoy that this book gave us more of the political angle that exists in the Empire that we don't usually get as much of, or if we do, it's sort of very watered down. And this really tried to get into the sort of nitty-gritty of how politics actually work in, in the Empire.
2: Well, and it, it had kind of like that, because, um, you know, when when we're looking at it from sort of like the rebellion standpoint, the Empire looks like this sort of like unified front of horrible evilness. And then I I think what I really liked, which might be what you liked as well, is when you you kind of are within the dictatorship and you're seeing like all of the infighting that is Mm. endemic to to kind of governments like that happening where you know grand marf tarkin is gonna go squish somebody because they're you know peeing in
0: his pool with the new canon stuff that they're kind of streamlining i guess now they're under the disney umbrella i've noticed that um these books, uh, as I read more of the new canon stuff, these books have really kind of put it in perspective for me, just how, I guess, widespread, this isn't really like, when you watch Star Wars, you think, oh, everybody has to know the Empire is evil. Everybody has to know this is going on. What is going on? Why are they acting like they don't know these things? And then reading these books from these perspectives of the people in the Empire has helped me to really see that people in the empire don't even realize half of this crap is going on or they're too busy fighting to actually um, do anything about anything that's going on.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's, it's an interesting way of approaching it given that, you know, so much of star Wars is, you know, I mean, even Lucas has said this, it's like the age old, you know, good versus evil. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, the evil in, in sort of old school star Wars is, is a little bit obvious for the most part uh in the movies, at least, right? Like, Vader is bad until we sort of get hints that he might not be 100% bad. He's like 99.9%. But, you know, the Emperor, bad. They're blowing up entire planets. They're bad bads, yeah. right? Luke Skywalker, good guy. Princess Leia, good guy. You know, Han becomes a good guy, even though he's a bit of a <laughs> scoundrel. But the books get to kind of unpack that a little bit, and mm-hmm. this canon does seem to do more of that than the... Well, I should say in the books that have been released so far, uh, you know, got to give at least some credit to the Legends universe that there were so many books that it just had to at least accidentally have done some of this. Uh, so, but yeah, so there's a bit more of the kind of nuances and the kind of the grays where there are people who really are like, Eli is a great example of this, right? He is part of this empire. He realizes the empire is not perfect. But he also doesn't necessarily think that the Empire is purely evil, because he hasn't necessarily seen all of that yet. Right.
2: Yeah, they haven't invited him to any of the murder cult meetings or anything. So he's just kind of like, oh, well, you know, there are certain aspects of the politics that I find uncomfortable, but I just don't read the news. So it's fine.
0: Yeah. And and yeah, that's, that's been definitely a thing. Yeah, like you said, the nuance of it. It's just like, I mean, I don't know how many books um, you know, you've read of the new canon, but like I've read like Bloodlines and uh Lost Stars and it just kinda added like a whole new dimension that some people work for the Empire, they realize that yeah, they might not be in be doing things on the best, on the up and up. Um, but at the same time, sometimes they're not quite as in a know about some of the things that they are actually doing. Such you, you know, like going to backwater planets to save children to save children mm. <laughs> quote unquote <laughs> well,
2: yeah. it's, it's like that thing about like you know you don't necessarily know it's bad when you're you're in the belly of the beast
0: mm-hmm.
1: it i mean it makes me think i realize we're in a way we're not literally talking about nazis except kind of the empire is but that
2: oh but no it super is yeah it, it, really is, it is. is you're
1: right yeah it is it is pretty nazi-ish but like at some point you think there'd be a comedy sketch like the uh david and webb sketch uh where they were, hit, it's the two Nazis having the conversation, and then they stop and they go, "Are we the baddies?" <laughs> like, where they suddenly have the <laughs> yeah. realization and start really questioning what they're doing. You know, the, more stories like that I think are going to be especially important in the stuff that's preceding four, five, and six the films, mm-hmm. um, or and, and to some degree maybe even when we get post episode nine, because the first order is just like. An, even more flamboyant evil version of of the empire uh the difference being that they're weirdly more incompetent for some reason or at least they mm-hmm. seem so in the in the films uh, and they like to yell more
2: well i mean like, H-
1: mm-hmm. hux yells so much oh, and kylo kylo yells so they're
2: they're it's a bunch of fucking fascist tryhards
1: <laughs> i know they really are they're basically the proud boys
2: but i i mean i feel like maybe in that way eli kind of Gets to squeak it, squeak by a little bit, just because he's basically from a fucking backwater where he doesn't know what's going on.
1: Well, and all, yeah, but also there's the fact that I mean, some of the stuff that Eli we get through him is a lot of the stuff that we know because we've watched all of the films and shit. Yeah, he doesn't actually know. So like the stuff about like the emperor. There's a moment where he sees the emperor and he's like, oh, like his face is kind of messed up, but like it's not what we thought because the story was this this is what had happened but it actually looks like he he got burns like he looks totally not like what you'd expect uh so there's a lot of sort of obfuscation going on where there's clearly people working in this empire who think ultimately they're serving some sort of good uh or at least doing something constructive uh who may not even realize just how deep into the the evil pit certain aspects of it had gone i mean eliza kind of the perfect example because he isn't as you said alex from the backwater but i think another element of that is that this is the not that far after episode three and for a lot of people who are raised in the empire and eli would have seen most of this as a as a kid right they probably really do believe that the jedi were Fucking assholes who like tried to take over, right? They probably, they've been fed the propaganda and they believe it. And they have seen the empire more or less keep, <laughs> I hate to use the phrase, but to keep the trains running, right? L- literally, that's what the empire is doing. It is keeping everything running on time. And so from people that are born into that, they don't really have a lot of easy access. I think it's why I like Rogue One so much that it's it's messy, that yes. people getting killed in that, like, it's not all just black and white. It's very messy running a rebellion. But you know, yeah, yeah. Cool. I said smart things.
2: No, you <laughs> did. I, I mean, you know, it's like the. Me- and then you know, you can take a character like Eli, and then you can be like, the measure of his morality is once he knows what's actually going on. What does he do?
1: Well, that's a good question because I am inclined to think that he would not. That it would really challenge him, and he might, he might turn away. That said. I realize there's more story of Eli that I just haven't read, so I could be totally wrong.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, I don't know either, because I haven't read the next two books, and I know I need to, because I read, the like, the excerpt they put out from the third Thrawn book, and it starts out with Eli doing a thing! And I'm like, <laughs> my baby! <laughs> Eli Fanto! <laughs> oh shit, something I wrote in my fanfic was kind of accurate! Oh
0: god. <laughs> Isn't that the best feeling? Oh, <laughs> <It's okay. laughs>
1: So I I think we should put up a, a spoiler wall because I think we should maybe talk about what happens to Eli at the end, right?
0: Yeah. Well,
2: because I feel like that, you know, there's like all of the detail stuff that I kind of glossed over in, in the synopsis. Because the real meat of the story is Thrawn being Thrawn and then the shit with Eli. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. So by right now we're going to put up our spoiler wall so they'll be like, bah, bah, bah. But we'll try to use like a Star Wars one instead of like a Star Trek alert. You know, because you got to stay on topic, and you can't cross the streams.
2: Wait, maybe Admiral Akbar yelling, "It's a trap! It's a trap!"
1: <laughs> <laughs> that would be perfect. That would be perfect. God, I want to go to Admiral Akbar, like, like for a convention.
2: It's a trap! Take a base of action.
0: Oh, poor Admiral Akbar. He deserved better. He definitely did it. He didn't deserve to die. Yeah, he was, like, the most pure thing in the whole series. I know. Yeah.
2: I feel like the Mon Calamari kind of got fucked. Oh, they yeah. did
1: get fucked. Poor That's poor fish people, man. What is it with Star Wars and hating people that live in water?
0: Oh, yes, they definitely hate them. <laughs> I guess they're like...
1: They hate all the watery peoples.
0: It's like, well, they shouldn't be surviving in space with no water anyway.
1: <laughs> I, I guess that's it, yeah. <laughs> poor fucking Gungans, too. They got fucked, too oh man oh man the empire's evil y'all that's really what it comes down to well i I mean i would hope like
2: we've managed to figure that out after how many movies and books can you imagine might be bad
1: (laughs) there's probably someone right now on twitter who's like spent like the last 25 years watching star wars movies and thinks the empire are the good guys honestly not in like a joking way, like you know. Sometimes people are like, "I'm the devil's advocate, and I'm gonna say the Empire's good." No, I don't know why they talk like they from the 1920s, but whatever. Uh, no, like flat out, like really believes the Empire are the good guys.
0: They're the good guys. <laughs> Alderaan deserve to be blown up.
2: They're just trying to bring order to
0: a chaotic universe. There are definitely those people. Trust me. Yeah, they are oh, yeah. <laughs> definitely on Twitter.
1: <sighs> oh, they're 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 a delight. You can find anything
2: on Twitter, whether you want to or not. Exactly. Oh, God. Anyway, Eli, my baby.
1: (laughs) Yeah, let's talk about Eli. Alex, go. Give me some stuff. What happens to Eli? Tell us what happens to Eli at the very end.
2: So, for like, the whole point of this long-ass plot where there's all this weird political stuff happening and... Mining supply chains and smugglers, and I mean, honestly, I got kind of lost because we went to like five million different places, and it all has bullshit made up Star Wars names that I cannot keep in my head for more than three seconds. But the whole point is that Thrawn is on the tail, the trail of this this guy called what was it? It's the the Night Swan or something? I don't even remember. It was like it sounds like a porn name, and. <laughs> And and hilariously enough, the character who's the Night Swan has the last name Signy, which is just like, thank you, Timothy Zahn, for, for hanging that lampshade right on it so he he because like basically the night swan is like the only person who has kind of come close to foxing it foxing thrawn because there's like a moment where he's set up like a defense thing with his three disabled ships and he's trying to bring the night swan in so he can attack them with the Shimmera. and the night swan's like haha i figured you out and i'm doing this other thing and thrawn's like oh shit someone actually figured out one of my plans for once fuck me So it's, like, the whole thing is laid out as, like, the Night Swan is the only person that Thrawn has met that is sort of close to being his intellectual equal, and then he goes and finds the guy and is basically like, yeah, so, I mean, I'm here for for the Empire, but I didn't actually get exiled like I've been telling everyone from the beginning of the fucking book. I actually got sent here by the Chiss Ascendancy to try to find, like, some people, because we got some problems that we're kind of, like, protecting your ass from... And, you know, we're trying to assess, like, are you guys going to collapse? Is everything terrible? So, anyway, hey, buddy, you're super smart. Want to go back to the Chiss Ascendancy and, like, you know, lend them a hand while I'm out here trying to figure out what the fuck's going on with the Empire and if we want to throw them to the wolves? And Night Swans, like, flips him the double bird and then they have, like, a sort of weird congenial, you know, like, we'll go our separate ways. You know, good work, good night, most likely kill you in the morning. So because the Night Swan tells Thrawn politely to to go fuck himself, instead Thrawn sends basically the next best person he knows, or who I would argue is probably the best person he knows, but he didn't want to send because it's his only fucking friend, he sends Eli back to the Chiss Ascendancy. Because, and this is why I love them so much and why I wrote fanfiction about them, because... Like Thrawn is super smart, and that's like his big superpower. But his other thing is kind of reading people and understanding them in a way better than they understand themselves. And Eli starts the book being like, "I'm just a little asshole from a backwater, and all I want to do is be like, what is it like a supply supply clerk chain or something. officer? Yeah. yeah, a supply chain officer on my backwater fucking planet." And Thrawn looks into him and sees the fact that he's really, really smart and really analytically minded and would actually make a really good officer and is basically like, I will take that and make it mine and pet it and it will grow and it will become everything that it should be. And then I will send it back to the Chess Ascendancy to do good work. Like, that's the point of the story. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it is delightful. And I will say that I I got finally got a little joy for Eli when he finally got promoted. Cause of all of the political bullshit that's oh going my on. He is. And he's all like, whoa, I got like promoted like nine ranks. Cause he became like lieutenant commander from yeah. Ensign. Yeah. And he was all like, oh shit, like this ain't happened before. Like nobody goes that many ranks at once. What is going on? And then he's like, you know, that Thrawn guy, I really stick with that guy and good things will eventually happen to you because he was never going to be lieutenant commander before. Oh, he was no. going to go and be No. like as, no ambition. Like, yeah, he ha- he was going to be like <laughs> like lieutenant on a on a like a tiny little ship that like would like ferry around spice or something. Right. Or or whatever that stuff is that people get high on now in the Star Wars universe, the name of which I have forgotten. I
0: think it's still spice. I don't it's know. still spice with a variant with a yeah. variant called scarn in the book.
1: That's right. You, you you mess that stuff up out the ground, you snort that stuff, and you get messed up. <laughs> I assume you snort it. I don't know how you do it, because honestly, I don't go to Corazon and get high, so.
2: Yeah, but I mean, I, I also, l- like, you know, also it was Thron's fault that Eli didn't get promoted for so long, because everyone was like, rawr, we hate Thron, but he's awesome, and he has political allies, so fine, we'll promote him, but fuck that guy who's hanging out with him all the time.
0: I was really disappointed we didn't get to see him rub it in Gim's face when he finally right? came oh, to right? commander. I was like, come on, give us a scene. They never did.
1: <laughs> yeah, I really wish they'd had that, because there is that scene earlier. Uh, and for those that have not read the books and are still listening, I guess we should say that uh, after Thrawn shows up and and somehow convinces the Emperor to let him go to like officer school in Corazon for reasons, Right? he and Eli go... And they have uh, a moment because, you know, Thrawn is this blue, red-eyed guy that some supposed would-be pilots, I guess, decide that they're going to, like, F them up. Except Thrawn, like, beats the crap out of all of them. But then instead of having them all significantly reprimanded and harmed, he has them all sent to... Like this special flight training school, and then later on, one of the guys goes back and is like, you don't remember me. You're a loser." To Eli, and it would be, have been nice if he had that one moment at the end, like right before he leaves for the Chiss Ascendancy, he sees the pilot and he like makes him salute to him.
0: Yeah, like right, what yeah. Up now, bitch?
1: <laughs> I'm a lieutenant commander. What? You just a pilot? You ain't <laughs> even. You ain't even shit. What now? Except he would have done it like with his, you know, like his weird like Southern accent or whatever.
0: Because <laughs> I'm from Alabama, y'all.
1: That's right. Yeah. He, oh God, yeah. is that what
0: Eli sounds
2: like in the in the the audiobook Yes. <gasps> yeah. Oh, that's adorable. He sounds
1: Southern. I couldn't figure out exactly which Southern, uh, but it, it's a Southern variety.
0: Yeah, Southeast. That's all of Southeast America right there in one person. I mean,
2: I don't know how how like I feel about the the kind of outer reaches being the the south of the empire. <laughs> it's, woo, I think little... you're just doing
1: the thing where like every time you, it's like that joke in America, like anytime you go to a rural area, suddenly people have a different accent. True. And it doesn't matter where in the country you are. Like I've been in California and there are people like with quote unquote that accent. Oh
2: my god, mm-hmm. no, they should have given like a North Texas accent.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they should have just gone full Appalachian. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. That would be
0: crazy. That would have been crazy.
1: Yeah. But anyway, yeah. So there, there are some nice moments for Eli. I think the part that I like the most about Eli's arc is because he becomes the the way, for the most part, we view this world or universe or galaxy or whatever the hell it is, we get to see really the ramifications of some of the sort of deep-seated, effectively racism. It's speciesism, but it's basically Star Wars version of racism. Because yeah. Alex, you'd said like it's all Thrawn's fault, but it's it's not Thrawn's fault well, yeah. directly. I mean it is in the sense that he's attached to Thrawn, etc. And like so in a way it is as a result of having Thrawn there. But I know what you meant. You meant to say that that the problem is that the Empire is incredibly racist against alien races. And Thrawn being very obvious. Can't really hide that he's a blue dude with big red eyes. Yeah. Everyone is like trying to scuttle him, but he just keeps outmaneuvering everybody. And so they're sort of like forced to relent. Like he, he goes up on like at three separate times, like they want to court martial his ass and just send him back to prison or something. And he ends up getting away with it solely on the basis of competence. And the unfortunate Mm -hmm. consequences, as Alec, you had said, Eli suffers because Thrawn appears to not fully understand the politics he does eventually sort of understand it uh but eli knows exactly what's going on and he realizes that like he's in this precarious fucked up position it ends up working out for him in the end but for the longest time, right? It's really like, as you said, like a love hate relationship. He's impressed by Thrawn, but he's also like, I need to get away from this dude because he's scuttling my big, ad- uh, you know, my big mission to be a supply officer on bumfuck nowhere. Uh, so. Yeah,
2: like my my one chance of kind of making something of myself. And actually, okay, there there is one thing I did want to mention um, that that's kind of like one of the incidents in the book where it's uh, the the ship that's carrying the Wookies.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah,
2: I, and and I think that's one of those instances where you can you can see Eli is like, oh God, you are reminding me that there are evil things, and it's making me super uncomfortable. No, oh, yeah, and then Thrawn fucking calls the Wookiees like
0: Imperial assets, and I was just like, mm-hmm. oh God, yeah, it's just like you kind of want to rub Eli's face, like, oh honey, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you sweet summer child, and then Thrawn is just like so super cold about it, like, uh, it's unfortunate, but. <laughs>
1: yeah they still belong
0: to the empire and then he's like trying to like justify like you know maybe slavery means something different in their language
2: you
0: know? yeah like, like, <laughs> so i was like wow really And you're just like eli
2: eli no eli oh god
0: <laughs> but yeah that was definitely uh an interesting look at how they differ in certain ways because you know you you know he's like you know prepping Eli to become some great commander because he obviously sees this great potential in him but at the same time because Eli is aware of like all the social nuances and stuff he still holds a part of him that can't quite be like oh they're just maybe slavery doesn't mean (laughs) slavery
2: yeah (laughs) and and it's I I think it is also a valuable moment for being like you know, like, I'm a little Thrawn fangirl, but then I'm like, he's also a bastard.
0: So. <laughs> definitely, definitely. But at the same time, you can't help room for him. At this. It's like, oh, you know, you want him to come out on top but you're Like, I want him to come out on top of a basically a Nazi organization.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I guess who better than a blue skin red out alien yeah and i
2: mean you know and part of me is like i just want him to come to the conclusion that the empire should be scuttled because it's not it's actually going to make things worse for the chess ascendancy because you know he could fucking destroy it from within if
0: he wanted to exactly exactly so yeah i I like those little moments between them too because you see it from time to time like a lot of it is eli saying oh yeah i see what you're trying to do but then some of it also like I think the book called it, uh, well, they didn't exactly call it. It was like a, I guess, an entry from Thrawn's journal. Mm. It was like, you know, even though you may respect your higher-ups and you may see where they're going, that you don't always agree with the decisions they're making. And that, you know, that's bound to happen from time to time.
2: And that's why I wrote Eline and Thrawn fan fiction. So <laughs> there you
1: go. <laughs> I think part of the appeal of Thrawn is he's not like other people that we sometimes see in the empire where it's sort of very like there's a lot you can admire about thrawn and appreciate about thrawn even if you don't necessarily agree with ultimately where he's going whereas with other members of the empire that we see we're just sort of like now you're just a giant dick and we just want you to fail miserably as quickly as possible whereas thrawn we're sort of like conflicted because Thrawn is this enormously fascinating character, so I think part of the appeal is that the idea that we want to see him succeed up until he faces our quote-unquote heroes, and then finally is defeated, but isn't defeated in a way that's deeply satisfying— as all good quote-unquote villains do, right? Like, if it's a good villain, like, there's a a satisfying ending to them. They don't just, like, get kicked in the face once and then it's over. There's, like, a real build-up to a release, which, obviously, this book is not trying to do because Thrawn is one of our, I guess you'd say, our heroes for this book. Uh, Mm -hmm. But, you know, but also he's blue.
2: Well, (laughs) and and I mean, I think the the thing that really worked for me for this even more than, like, the original Thrawn trilogy, is in that one, you know... Because they're they're not very different characters, I think. No. But the underlying motivation comes across as very different. Where in that, you were like, you know... Even then, Thrawn was not part of the cult of personality for Emperor Palpatine and, in fact, thought Palpatine did a bunch of really dumb things, but he was still, like, committed to the project that was the Empire where this Thrawn is, is even more of the I'm playing 12-dimensional chess, and he's like, well, I'm going to go along with what the Empire is doing because right now I think from my viewpoint of what is good for the galaxy as a whole, for whatever nebulous threat that I, I think is coming that is is a really big deal, I think that they will be useful to defeat this threat, but you also get the impression that if he ever thought the Empire was going to stop being useful, he'd be like, peace out, I'm gone. Which is interesting, like, I think that's what I really like, because I just like characters that are that horribly cold and analytical.
0: That's true. And um for me, I think I like the whole open, uh the way he uh commanded with such an open environment, like everybody's input was, you know, something that he might be able to take into account. You know, it's not like, oh, you're just such and such the gunnery chief you can't possibly have a good you know a good idea so and it's like he I guess relates to people in that same way that he, he the set, the openness he has with his crew he also pretty much basically forces it on his superiors like <laughs> they're gonna hear it whether they want to or not so.
2: so so we should have like a little like a little poster that's like
0: leadership tips from Thrawn <laughs> 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 Yeah, because I really enjoyed it. I was like, you know, you know, yeah, I'm, you know, I know it's for his own gain, but at the same time, you know, he was open to ideas that other people had, even to the point of being, I guess, like willing to or at face value, willing to let someone take the glory. Yeah. (laughs) So even though that didn't work out in everybody's case, such as his, uh, his own admiral. So.
1: Another thing that I that had been mentioned that I just find really interesting is it, because this is this is the new canon, but the fact that Thrawn uses it as one of the little I guess enticements to. When he, when he gets his meeting with Palpatine after his guerrilla campaign in the beginning where he kills a bunch of stormtroopers and then just hands himself over and is like, I'm obviously smarter than you. You're going to take me home and you're going to introduce me to your dad. So, (laughs) (laughs) I mean,
2: just the unmitigated confidence and gall of the man.
1: (laughs) I know. And then he meets the emperor and he has this conversation. And the, the thing he, one of the things he dangles is, This idea that there are other threats that are perhaps more serious than anybody realizes. And we aren't really told what those threats are. Yeah. And it made me think a lot of what is it they might pull from the original canon and, you know, just do a little bit of twisting about and bring back in its own unique way. If anything at all, because there are a number of, throughout the original Canada, a number of like things that are out past, like in the Unknown Reasons and out past the Outer Rim, that do come and cause issues. One of the big ones, of course, is the Yu Vong, who it, most people don't really care that much about. But if they can bring that back and make it interesting, that would be super cool. But we'll see, because I don't know what Thrawn's talking about. I mean, for all I know, he just means that, like, he's going to come in and bring some really good tea and just, like, crash the tea prices and harm the economy. But I don't know.
2: I mean, I, I think it's it's useful as, like, a potential escape hatch, you know, because if, if we ever get tired of the endless civil war that, that everything is centered on, then it's like, okay, guys, how are you going to deal with an external threat for once? Will you finally get your shit together?
0: Well, I'll be honest, I think the threat is gonna be Chewbacca's perfect hair in that glorious manga. Oh my had. god. <laughs> There's
2: no fighting that. Chewbacca, like Bishonin hero.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bishy Chewbacca. Oh my oh, god.
1: Oh man. That would be a hell of a thing. I mean, I would like that, but I just I think that Disney Studios would get burned down at that point. <laughs> That, like, someone would resort to arson, because that's just, I yeah, know, it's too cute. You can't have cuteness. No.
0: <laughs> be, but that, that mane is so glorious.
1: <laughs> it is really nice.
0: <laughs> just turns
2: it around and flips it like Fabio.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, when he gets really good condition, he takes care of that hair, man. <laughs> so, uh, so let's switch over, because we talked a lot about Thrawn, we've talked a bunch about Eli, one of the other... I guess you'd say major characters or major side characters here is Arinda Price, who <sighs> is a real interesting person who only becomes interesting later. Uh, for me, anyway, I found Arinda Price a little bit, I guess a little... Bland. Bland, uh, yeah. Bland yes. at various <laughs> points, yeah. And I think mostly because for much of this book, Arenda Price spends it as a largely very naive, not very good at politics individual who kind of gets shoved into a not fair situation and it takes her a long time to kind of really pull it back together and realize how to play the game from a political standpoint uh i guess one of the other issues i did have with her narrative is that it takes forever for it to have any real connection to the Thrawn narrative. Yeah. And it just made it feel like this is too much of like, we're just having a diversion. We could have more Thrawn right now. We could literally have Thrawn and Eli naked in a, in a spa together. And you're giving us this instead. I'm in. Yeah. I mean, I would watch rather watch that like, and have Thrawn try to explain like, Oh, this is just like a Chiss custom. Uh, And this is what we do. (laughs) And you like going like, well, all all right. And then like admiring his, his, his buttocks. And, you know,
2: (laughs) I mean, yeah, like, I don't even remember that much about the Arendra Price (laughs) stuff, to be honest, other than I was like, for a long time, she was just basically a political pawn. And then She gets some advice from Thrawn and is like, I'm gonna go be more cutthroat about this. And then at the end, she's like his political advisor. And I was like, I don't fucking buy this, but okay. I mean, I will at least give Timothy Zahn like a thank you for having more lady characters
0: in this novel than have been in many other Star Wars novels that we've read. Yeah, it took me forever to get into her story. And by the time I guess I should have cared, I was really kind of like, what took so long, it just, mm-hmm. still just kind of felt like there had to be a better way to go about this than, than this whole, you know, first you get drugs thrown on you and, and then you're blackmailed by the same guy's bodyguard. Like, like, what is, what is all this? <laughs> like, ugh, it just, I, I really didn't enjoy that too much.
1: Yeah, I mean, so we should say that. Uh, so the the basic storyline for Orinda Price is uh, Orinda Price comes from a place called Lothal. It is primarily known for mining, and there's there's a big thing to do about the specific element that the, that a lot of people are mining and the value of that. But we, we can talk about that later. Bullshit, made up mineral doesn't matter. Yeah, yes, so yeah, yeah. Basically, uh, and she is her family owns a place called Price Mining, and at the beginning, uh, she basically gets blackmailed by the corrupt governor into trying to sell to basically the government of Lothal to the governor uh, by a politician who's a sleazy scumbag. And of course, she's like, I'm really mad. So she goes to another politician by the name of, uh, was it Ranking she goes and talks to?
2: Yeah, Ranking.
1: Ranking, yeah. And ends up... Basically screwing the governor out of out of what he wants by selling it to the Empire, which of course means her family loses her mining thing, but she ends up getting a job in Coruscant and gets her family off to go work at another mine. It all kind of seems to work out. And you would think that would be the end of the story, but of course, when she gets to Coruscant, she finds out that Coruscant is shocking, also full of corrupt people. And she ends up getting into some trouble, uh, gets blackmailed again, and eventually she starts to learn, like, oh, maybe I need to learn how to play this game too, and starts really working it a little bit. Finally gets some people ranking, for example, she gets screwed over. Some of her so-called friends turn out to be involved in some illegal activity. She gets them screwed over, uh, which, fair enough, because uh, they, they kind of are not good people. Uh, and eventually she becomes governor of Lothal through some very clever political dealing with Bran Tarkin and some other people, uh, and it all seems to be working out for her, uh, but it takes forever for us to get to the point where we're like, okay, now you are really going somewhere, uh, and it, maybe it's just the contrast between Thrawn, who seems to be, like, knows everything that's going on, and Eli, who seems to be learning rather quickly. And then we have Price who sort of feels, I guess, kind of like Eli, but takes forever to get there. Also, I will say that in the audiobook, I like the, her two friends that she hangs out with all the time, the, the impressions that they gave like really confused me.
0: <laughs> yeah. Weird. That was really like, okay. I felt bad for, her, I guess her friend. Is it, ja- I think it was Jahir was her name. The other dude, I was like, you just randomly showed up at this book and became a friend, and now I'm, okay, what? <laughs> so, uh, I did feel kind of bad for the friend, but only because, you know, there was an emphasis that she got into what she was doing because she saw how the Empire treated Arenda. And then it's kind of like, Arinda doesn't believe it, but she's like, I saw how they treated you like trash, and I wanted to do something about it. Like, I knew they needed to be gone, which I'm like, that is some loyalty right there, sister. Because <laughs> I don't know if I'm trying to take down a whole empire <laughs> by one friend that I barely know and haven't yeah. talked to in six months. Yeah. Yeah,
1: it's it's Driller and Jewa?
0: Jaheer. I think it's Jaheer. I know it's spelled like Jaheer. I can't remember how they pronounced it actually. I think it. she well it's
1: Ja is uh how they say her in the in the and the audiobook,
0: yeah, it was. It, was, it wasn't here. Yeah, it wasn't. That wasn't how they said it, but that's how it looked in the book <laughs> when I looked.
1: Yeah, gets an unusual name, and then the other friend is just named Driller.
0: Yeah, and he's just kind of like the guy that popped up and you know, conveniently in place.
1: Yeah, involved in a thing called Higher Skies, which is seemingly involved in some various illegal activities, uh, including the peddling of information. And uh, some other questionable things. And she, of course, uses various grand, grand moths against one another. Uh, because there's always that fun bit that all the moths are trying to fuck one another over. Um, <laughs> instead of maybe sitting down at a room and being like, maybe we should also get into the spa with uh, with Thrawn and Eli. Because we
2: all. I, I don't want to see grand moths Harkin doing that. Thank you.
1: I mean, he can wear his clothes. <laughs> it's fine.
2: It's fine. Also, what? Oh, like, maybe he's got a cute butt. Oh, he'd be like that one—that one weirdo in the sauna who, like, all the guys are wearing towels, and he, like, fucking is sitting in there in his full uniform. Yeah,
1: <laughs> you know Tarkin would though. He oh, would yes. never totally. take it all off.
2: <laughs> I actually made an attempt to read the Grand Moff Tarkin book, and then I was just like, "No, it's too evil, and I can't."
1: Yeah, he is an evil bastard.
0: Is that the one where he's weirdly buff, <laughs> or is it yeah, the
1: comic? It's,
2: <laughs> like, it was weird.
0: <laughs> I, th- I think it's just called Tarkin, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's just called Tarkin.
0: Yeah, I was like, did this? I saw some pictures or something. And I was like, is that Tarkin being weirdly muscular with no shirt on? Yeah,
2: well, because it's like his his past is he's like from this planet of like survivalists and hunters and did it. And I was just like, this is not what I got from Tarkin at all in the fucking movies. But okay. Yeah, Sounds a fake. Little bit of
1: a a little bit of a... All you need to know is that all the, the time we don't see Tarkin, he's left in awaits. weights.
0: Probably. <laughs> he's got a
1: Bowflex in his office, and he is just like, Oh, I gotta look like those guys in the commercials!
2: He's like, running fucking Iron Man's, like...
1: Yeah, a Mustafar.
2: It's so weird. It's just so fucking weird. Do you know he's
1: into parkour as well?
0: Oh my god,
2: I mean, please. I would totally believe it from that the, the bit of that <laughs> book I read.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. When he's in Corazon, he's always going uh, like jumping up from one building to the next, and he's like doing cool flips off bars and stuff. Yeah, except yeah, in Star Wars, weird. it's not called it's not called parkour because that would be weird that something from Earth would be called parkour.
0: But strangely enough, it's not weird to have Luke's and Leia's <laughs> in a world with odd names.
1: Right? Well, they got the Bible.
0: Eli, <laughs> yeah, Eli. Price, okay.
1: Sure. <laughs> well, there's a Y in it. Oh,
0: yeah. Fancy spelling.
1: And that's how you make things sound alien, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, what's his name? Uh, Thrawn is like Mithran Nudo. Uh, yeah. I can never say his damn name. I don't even understand how the Emperor says his name, because he says his name in this, and I'm like, oh, man. You know you spent, like, a week practicing that. Oh, God.
2: So, in, in, <laughs> in like, the little, the little excerpt from the third Thrawn novel where they're talking about Eli, and he's in the, the Chiss Ascendancy... They kind of explain like how the chis names work and how they're you know they're it's like three parts. And cool. So, so like a, a bunch of the chis like they know that his name is Eli Vanto, but a lot of them just kind of run it together and then divide it into three parts.
0: Yeah, so it.
2: so then they call him like I, I want to say it's like Levon because that would be like his the middle part of his name. That's the one everyone uses. And I thought it's that was Eli
1: Vanto, or and he's also sometimes known as Evant. Yeah, I thought it was really cute. It was cute. <laughs> I mean, they like that. They like number threes, you know, Good for them. Well, okay. So I guess we're we're getting to that point where you know, is there anything else we like really need to talk about? You know, we we didn't l- really like Price's narrative all of that much. It took too long to really get to the point where we felt comfortable with it.
2: Yeah, it, it was just. I think it was just pay like. The pacing on Thrawn's narrative was so good. Like it had that very set progression where he's just like leaping up the ranks and Eli's kind of right there with him. And then it felt like the pacing on on, on Price's narrative was just really off
0: compared oh, yeah. to that. Yeah, it felt like one moment is going too slow and then it's going too fast.
2: Yeah, like she went from zero to 50, like just instantly. Mm-hmm. Zero to hero in just one day.
0: Okay.
1: What did you all think of NightSwan?
2: I mean, I thought he was interesting as a sort of, like, you know, Moriarty is not necessarily the best parallel because NightSwan is obviously, like, a rebel dude, but, you know, as the sort of, like, equal and opposite for Thrawn, you know, he was kind of there. He wasn't that interesting because the whole point was him being a foil for Thrawn, and then Thrawn being like... But I've come to recruit you for the Star League. And Night Swan being like, no, I'm just going to go fucking destroy the Empire. I've got (laughs) things to do. Ask someone else out.
0: Yeah, he was another character I didn't get, I guess, too attached to. Like Mm. Alex just said, he was basically the fall at every turn. Like kind of not quite one step ahead of Thrawn, but kind of like at least on equal footing. Um, Except for that one part, I guess, where he... Oh, I did exactly what he wanted me to do. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, okay, thrown. But, uh, and then he gets this like super heroic speech at the end about he'll die on the front lines with the people he's trying to save. And it's just like, okay, just, just do that then. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. So <laughs> yeah, it, it does seem that this is, I think one of the problems that it, it ties into again, the price narrative because. Part of the way that Thrawn ends up finding out who he really is is through Higher Skies, which is the group that Signy or or Night uh, Knight Swan is using to gain intelligence on Imperials, various Imperials. Um But it does feel kind of like by the time we realize who he is, it's kind of a little too late. It's like a mystery that isn't as compelling as we would like it to be. Uh, I kind of would have liked that his... Maybe he was the act, other narrative rather than Price, which I realized maybe we just switch them out and just have Price be Night Swan. And then. Oh, that would have been interesting. Yeah, that would have been really cool. Make Neville Signey just like some dude with wavy hair who thinks he's like (laughs) a Han Solo, but he's really not. (laughs) Because, you know, because I don't want to get rid of like a female character because a lot of Star Wars books just tend not to have very many of them. But maybe having that be the the narrative of, like, this person's off doing their thing, Thrawn's doing this thing, and have those narratives running, and then eventually they connect. Because then we could see that progression. But we don't really get that here. Just Night Swan sort of, I think Alex said it, like, he's just there. And it feels like it's supposed to be more important, but it doesn't, for me, get anywhere. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, just the, the biggest problem. That if this is just going to be a Thrawn book, then just have it be a Thrawn book. Uh, but if you want to have that intrigue, you really got to develop it more. There's got to be more of it. And it can't just be, like, uh Arenda Price's sort of odd, odd little friends running or or being involved in some sort of intelligence group that turns out to be involved with, you know, Mr. Supposed uh Insurgent Leader, whatever. Yeah. So, but, you know, whatever. Like, for the most part, though, we got what we wanted, right? We got Thrawn. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah?
2: Yeah. I got Thrawn.
1: We didn't get our spa scene.
2: It's, that's <laughs> what fan fiction's for, Sean.
1: I know, but I want it in a book.
0: Hey, look, you can put it on AO3. They have been uh, nominated for things, so I feel like that is perfectly <laughs> yeah, <laughs> legit. <laughs> that's That's the future <laughs> of fiction.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I guess that leads us to we got to give our final thoughts and our grades and let you all know at the end here what we're going to be reading next. So I will jump to you, Tiara, because you are a guest. Your final thoughts and what grade would you give this?
0: Okay. So even though I review books, sometimes my, my final thoughts about a book, uh, I guess you know, it'll seem to always match up with the grade because I would still give this the A grade. I really enjoyed it for, um, Thrawn and Eli mainly, even though I was kind of like, Oh, well, Thrawn, he's just like, you know, where's the struggle? But at the same time, it was like, fuck yeah. But um, I would give it an A. I really enjoyed, you know, reading, well, listening, part of it was reading, um, listening to his parts, like the whole, you know, I don't normally like when characters break down their whole reasoning for things, but for some reason, I liked it here, I guess, because, you know, otherwise, it probably wouldn't make sense to me if it wasn't Eli sitting there point by point. saying oh this is why you did this 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 and that and i also um i like that it was more political i do enjoy like the more political books in star wars because i don't i don't know i'm a big political intrigue fan so i'm always interested in seeing like the political maneuverings, not just in like the empire because the republic can get pretty they can get pretty savage with each other as well so but yeah i would give it an a despite you know some arenda and a perfectly good Night Swan (laughs) reference used on a character that probably didn't deserve the title, but, you know. Uh
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right, fair enough, and a solid A. Excellent. Uh, Well, I will go because this is Alex's book, so I'll let Alex end with their their thoughts on this. So, uh, overall, I will agree. I really enjoyed it. The Thrawn bits are exactly what you would expect from a book about Thrawn. Uh, For the most part, it's fantastic. I love the sort of way that they uh Zahn updated Thron uh for the new canon. I, I love seeing him still doing the analyzing art thing and the body language and all of that. That was fantastic. Yeah, there are some things that I didn't think really work, over of Price's narrative just kind of flubbered about and then eventually kind of settled, and some other like minor quibbles. I like the setup with the chist though, that's really cool. So I would probably give it an A- I think it's really solid and I, I think people should listen to the Mark Thompson audiobook. Although they need to finally bring in like a, a woman to do the, uh, the, the female voices because we need to stop with this thing where like we just need to have like one person doing the, vo- like just doing production. You're Disney yeah. for God's sake. Like you can bring <laughs> in lots of people.
0: Yeah. They have a few books that are like, you know, multiple, you know, speakers. I don't know why. You know they keep they think Mark is so great he doesn't need. <laughs> I'm like okay you haven't listened to his women's voices have you?
1: I mean the, he can only do so much on a, on women's voices like he just that he's he's got a limitation <laughs> it's kind of hard <laughs> so you know uh yeah so but anyway but other than that yeah fantastic so Alex up to you.
2: All right um I'm just gonna keep it short and st- sweet it gets an A I loved this book and despite it it's things like you know. Like the narrative of of price was not that great, and some other stuff. I mean, it got me to write fan fiction, and you know, I'll also admit that 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 will give you like a slightly skewed view of things because you know there there are certainly terrible things that I've written fan fiction for. I wouldn't consider this terrible. I really like Thrawn, in the sort of like he's just a a terrible but fascinating person, and I adore Eli, and I want them to bone, so I wrote fan fiction about it. And that's all I have to say. Gets an A.
1: Art, Fantastic. So that leads us to what are we going to be reading next time? Because we jump back and forth, back and forth, because why not? And that book is my choice. And that book will be The New Rebellion by Christine Catherine Rush from 1996, back when these books were published by Bantam Spectra. So it should be very interesting. This is following after one of my favorite series of star wars novels which is the black fleet crisis novels so that's what we're reading next the new rebellion by christine Catherine rush
0: all right sounds good
1: and uh thank you very much tiara for being here with us
0: and thank you for having me i'm glad i didn't do too much screaming about star Wars. <laughs> <a> star war, <laughs> <About> star war. <laughs> it was great to have you
1: it was fantastic thank you so much and on that note ron you know standing offer if you'd like to go on a date. You're welcome, citizen. (laughs) Awkward ending. And scene. (laughs)
2: If you'd like to support the show, you can do so at patreoncom skiffy and You can also follow us on Twitter at skiffy and find our booktube on YouTube at the Skiffy and Fanty Network. Follow our reviews and everything else we do on our website at Skiffianfanti.com. You can also sign up for our newsletter at Skiffianfanti.com slash newsletter. And you can always feel free to shoot us an email at SkiffyInfanty at gmail.com. The intro music for this podcast was taken from Juno by Cronox. You can find more about their music at freemusicarchive.org.